0: Father, we just thank you this morning. Lord, we just worship you. Yes, Lord, you are holy, Lord. You are absolutely set apart from your creation. You are just the cut above all of us, the rest of the world, the rest of the creation. Even the angels, oh Lord, you are apart from them. You are so apart. And Lord, we just want to thank you, Father, for who you are. And in spite of being what you are, apart from your creation, Lord, you became a man, Father. And you chose that route to humble yourself, to make yourself of no reputation, to take upon yourself the form of a bond servant and a man. Tempted in every area, yet without sin. Humble yourself, and Lord, you surrendered yourself completely, totally upon that cross. Lord, we will never be able to understand it. We will never be able to understand or comprehend completely, even in the ages to come, O Lord, the depths of the riches. Or the wisdom and the knowledge of the grace of God. How unsearchable are your ways. How inscrutable are your paths. Absolutely past finding out. Oh Father, we just want to thank you Father for that. We just want to thank you Father for your humility. Lord, that you came and died for such proud souls like us. Oh Father, thank you Father for, for Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And even as this morning we meditate upon your word. Speak to our hearts once again, O Lord. Lord, continue to reinforce your truths into the Deepmost parts of our inner man, let them make up a part of us, O Lord. Even as we hear Your Word, let the anointing rest over all of us. Even as we meditate and study, Lord, your spe- uh, let Your anointing be over the speaking and over the hearing. And Lord, all of us will obey, O Lord Jesus. Grant us grace to that, and we pray. We thank You. We praise You for. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just want to thank God for last night for for. God showing us some incredible truths. We will never be able to understand the cross in its totality. You know, it's impossible for us to comprehend as to what the Son of God, the Holy One, the totally set apart One, had to experience on the cross, the sinless One. Hmm. The Most Righteous, I mean the Righteous One, there's no Most Righteous, there's no comparison at all. The Righteous, the Holy, the God, it's just not man who was crucified on the cross. It was God who was crucified for Him to go through what He had to go through. I don't think in the ages to come, we will never be able to completely, totally understand. And and therefore, we just worship Him, right? We just worship, we worship Him, we worship Him. And this morning, we will talk about worship. And of course, I'm not talking about worship in the way that we do worship as to what it really means to worship. No, um, before we—that's uh, not the title of um, today's message though. But uh, before we go to the meat of today's word, I just want us to look at uh, one particular passage in the Bible: First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you first okay uh and i we will use this word for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance okay you know yeah for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance oh, i mean it's like very very important this is uh, the first important importance you know one of the things that we need to um um understand like even as we study the word of god uh, we have to emphasize on the most important truths And the most important truth of the Bible is the cross. And if you have understood the cross, we have understood God. I mean, so our understanding and knowing God is directly proportional to to how much we have understood and applied the cross in our own lives. Okay, so I'm only at a particular level. Okay, so I'm not going to prophesy beyond the faith that has been afforded me. Romans chapter 12 will say, let us, let each one of you prophesy according to the measure of faith that God has given you. So what I'm giving to you, what I'm sharing with you is only to the level or to of grace and faith that God has given me. Um, therefore, and we, we are learning, I mean, and we will continue to learn that there's a revelation of of uh, If you want to really understand who God is, if you want revelation, we say, no, God grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We will, un- we will really, really, truly get revelation only when we have apprehended and appropriated the cross in our lives. It, it is impossible any other way. Alright, so it says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to our scriptures, according to the scriptures. So he's not even talking about anything else in the Bible. He's not talking about the law. He's not talking about uh, all the other truths that he could emphasize on. But one most, the important truth, the essence of the Bible, if you will, the Christ, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. It's just, it was just, it was not um, some afterthought of God, okay? That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. You see that? This is important. 15 verses 3 and 4. So the cross was not God's afterthought. That was the plan of God right from the beginning, even before the foundation of the world was laid. It was the plan of God. There was, I don't know, I don't know, there was, I cannot say, some point, somewhere, some coordinates in space, time, I don't know, there was a discussion among the Trinity, I believe. And, It happened. It was in God's mind right from the beginning. And he chose us in him even before the foundation of the world was laid. So that is even incredible to to really uh, grasp and understand. That That was a plan of God right from the beginning. That the seed of the woman would ultimately crush the head of the serpent and deliver mankind from the penalty and the power of sin and grant them authority to overcome every scheme and the power of the wicked one you see we need to understand something when we understand the bible we have to understand in its totality we have to have a, a balanced approach to understanding the christian life uh, when i'm saying christian life christian life is not set uh, is not apart from the cross what what do i mean by that if i have to first of all god died for my sin from the from a penalty of my sin how do i know it when i see the cross okay god Delivered me from the power of sin. How do I know it? When I appropriate the cross, it says, "How do I die from the power of my sin when myself is crucified?" Therefore, Galatians chapter two verse twenty, Paul will say, "You can turn there." Galatians chapter two verse twenty. <coughs> I have been crucified with Christ. I ne- I, don't, I no longer live. Yeah? but Christ lives in me, and the life which are which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who who loved me and He gave Himself for me. So the life which I now, now live, I no longer live. You know, when you compare this with, you know, I worked hard more than everybody. But it was not I, but the grace of God which is in me. You put both these two together, you will see that the amount of grace that you receive from God is directly proportional to the amount of the cross that you have applied in your own life. Straightforward that way. Okay. And then he says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with with its passions and desires. Okay. So the self-life, the life of the flesh, and then the influence of the world. In Galatians, Paul will say, you don't have to turn there. He said in the last part, he says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world through the cross of of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And then in Colossians chapter 2, he says, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, was nailed on the cross. And having nailed, what did he do? He disarmed the principalities and powers of darkness. So the principalities and powers of darkness, like yesterday, strong bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. We don't even understand what those, those, those were. They were all demonic spirits. Dogs have surrounded me. Okay, the every influence of the demonic spirit was disarmed and was broken on the cross. Right. So, so our understanding, how much we, the victorious Christian life, people, you know, write about victorious Christian life, um, all kinds of life. But there is only one life, the application of the cross in our life okay and this was not god's afterthought i said right right from the beginning it was his plan that he would put enmity between seed of the woman and his uh, his seed that is the serpent seed so we need to have a holistic approach no we need to understand there's a world there's a flesh and there's a devil okay what we need to Take care of us. We need to take care of all these three. We are to reign over all these. Unfortunately, what happens is that uh, we talk about it, but we start becoming imbalanced. But that was, of course, not today's sermon or study. But I just want to put that as a thought for all of us. Now we are learning, but. For some people, the powers of darkness is not even a... They don't even talk about it. If you... They will talk about the vials of the wicked one, etc. Strategy, etc. But they've never, ever, ever understood the depths of the demonic. Simply because they have not understood the cross. Yeah. The depth of our sin. There's a mystery of lawlessness. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. The cross was God's plan, right from the beginning. And today, this morning, I want to look at one place where cross is unfolded. Prophecy being enacted. We know that passage very well. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. We're going to take a break from the sons of Jacob, okay? We'll just do something. I, mean, I, th- I just wanted to meditate on the cross, and I was thinking that this should something. This is something which I, which I believe God was laying on my heart. Let's read from verse one onwards. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said, "Abraham," and he said, "Here I am." So I told you, this is cheneni available. So this is a spiritual disposition. It didn't. It happened in one day. There was a series of events that has happened in Abraham's life which has brought him to this point. There was a series of practices in Abraham's life that he appropriated from the age of 75. So if he has done it from the age of 75, we have hope. Okay, we are not too old. Okay, we can break those patterns that have been established in our life and establish new patterns so where we where we come to a point where we say lord here i am whatever you say i am ready i am available so and now it came to pass after these things that god tested abraham tested that's a very important word tested christian life is full of tests okay most of them surprise Okay, Surprise tests. So you have to be always prepared. For those tests. And. It is so important. That without a test. There is no promotion. Like why does God testing us not to fail us. So that he can promote us. So don't have a negative impression about test. And testing is not of our knowledge. Testing is about our character. You have the NASB in your life, in your in your Bible. So turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, 2 and 3. Actually 2, 3 and 4. Two onwards, in fact. It says, through whom we have also obtained our introduction to faith, by faith, into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, And not only this, we also exult in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance what? Proven character. Tested character. And proven character produces hope of the, of the, of the future. So you don't have hope unless and until, unless and until you have what? Proven character. So, if you talk about hope of the future, of the future, you have faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Next, immediate next is faith, and hope is connected with the future. And when do we have hope? We really, really have genuine hope when we have proven character. And verse five, and hope that does not disappoint. This hope will not disappoint because we already know that the characters, character of Jesus is formed in our lives, and that is the reason why Second Corinthians chapter thirteen verse five will say, "Test, examine. No, three steps." Test, examine, no. Okay, so you do self-test and God will give his own test. How do you know self-test? See your own life, examine your own life. See if there are consistent patterns in your own life. Whether you do things consistently. Because consistency is the name of the game. Uh Like, uh, I, I mean, um, recently David Wood, uh, in his uh, YouTube channel, he has 100 million views, okay? Oh, 100 million views. Now, we are not in competition with David Wood. Please, I'm not. I, I like that because so many Muslim people are actually watching his uh, channel. Now, what he says is that, hundred what he says is that, I want a generation. How did he come to the point? He was doing things consistently over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again okay fine consistency is important okay so just test examine no and test is is what is god is god is doing here abraham god tested abraham first peter chapter 1 verse 6 onwards you see the word test is also um, translated as assay. A-S-S-A-Y. What is assay? Assay means to see what the metal is actually made of. And how do you know what the metal is actually made of when you put it in fire? Strength of materials is one of the subjects that we study in engineering it doesn't matter which background you come from everybody has to go through that go through that process of strength of materials how do you know a strength of a material you you test it you do all kinds of pressure analysis shear stress okay direct stress all kinds of stress analysis different different directions you put uh, you put uh, the metal to test and see whether it can be proven whether, whether it is really genuine or not Therefore, verse 6, it says, in, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested, actually, yes, we use the word, the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes. Okay, the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than that gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. No, he says gold is tested by fire, but it, that is also still perishing. Because after after Jesus comes, all the elements will melt. Okay, so if all the gold that you put in uh, your uh, locker <coughs> will disappear. Only the gold that you send abroad, what abroad? Heaven. Okay, that will appear, that will only appear in terms of souls. Okay. So, I don't know. Maybe all the gold from here will appear, will disappear and appear there in heaven on the floor. On the floors, maybe. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just speculating. Okay? Because we'll, we'll be walking on streets of gold. All the gold will come there, maybe. I don't know. Just speculating. But the thing here is this. Precious than gold that perishes, even though that is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, this is the whole idea of trials. You have to be tested. Okay. And you have to be tested to see what is in your heart. If you turn to um, Genesis chapter 22 and read verse 1. If you have the NIV version. So verse 1, it says, uh, Now it came to pass that the, after these things, God tested Abraham. And God said, and he said, here I am. He's ready for the test. Okay. He's ready. Okay. It's like the professor comes to the class uh, quiz today. <gasps> A lot of people. Some people, yes, sir. Bring it on. Okay, Which category are we? Okay, so there is a preparation over here. You're always ready. See, why are we doing this? Going, why are we going through this process of studying the word and shutting ourselves uh, in and studying and meditating upon the word? Not, this is not an intellectual exercise. We are trying to see how prepared are we? How prepared? Are we ready to meet our maker? Just think about it for a minute. All of those those who are listening to me. Are we ready to face God today, boy? It's a very difficult question for me to uh, for me to answer to myself. If I stand before the judgment seat of Christ today, will I be ashamed? I'm, I'm not talking about my salvation. I'm, I'm, my salvation is—I don't want to—I que- will not question that because I'm not saved by my work, my, by by my works, but my obedience. Should I be ashamed? There'll be people who'll be grieving and be on in utter darkness, and there'll be a bunch of people who'll be ashamed, and there'll be a bunch of people who are enjoying. So we need to ask ourselves, and therefore we have to subject ourselves like the way David does in Psalm 26. Now I want you to uh, put it in the NIV, please, if you don't mind. NIV also, or NKJV is also not a problem. NKJV is not a problem. Okay. Psalm 26, just leave it at NKJ. We don't need no issues. It says, vindicate me, O Lord. Look at what he's saying. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. And verse two, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Wow. See, this is remarkable. You know, just imagine, you know, he's actually praying, he's writing a song. And God says, boy, at this point, if I were to come, I know you're ready. Your heart is absolutely ready. Your mind is absolutely ready. We don't know when uh, David wrote this song, but whenever he wrote this song. But are there times in our lives where we are so con- where we can not confident in ourselves, when we know that our, our hearts are absolutely surrendered to God and we say, Lord, try me. Try me, Lord. And what is he asking us to try? Examine me. He says, Lord, I don't want to vindicate myself. You vindicate me. What is vindication? After having tested and after having proven, passed the test, you can go now. You have passed the quality test. There's no Six Sigma here. If you know what is what I'm talking about. Okay, he's saying, Lord, vindicate me. That is the reason why, you know, Paul tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Look at what he says. Look at this remarkable man of God. Let a man so consider as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And he says, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. And what is David saying? Lord, you judge me Lord, today. You judge me. Vindicate me. Of course, I I think David, definitely if David was not genuine, he would not have the audacity to write this. And look at what he says again, go back to Psalm 26 and verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me, okay, try my mind and my heart. In other words, try my thoughts, try my affections. And what will you find? My thoughts are filled with your thoughts. My heart is totally surrendered and it has affections only for you for because you know why for look at what he says the next verse verse 3 for your loving kindness is before my eyes and i have walked in your truth loving kindness is there in your heart and your truth is in your mind so your mind is full of the thoughts of god and your heart is completely surrendered to the love of god and you you know that all your affections at at least at that instant of time to the best of your knowledge is towards god and he says lord test me Examine me and Lord, I know when you test me and you examine me, I'll be vindicated. I know I'm sure I will pass the quality test. Look at what he says. Why is he having that kind of confidence? Look at what he says. The next verse, "I, your loving kindness is before my eyes. Your truth is in my mind. Third, I have not sat down with idolaters mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites, I have hated the assembly of evildoers and I will not sit with the wicked. See, all these things I've done. There's a practice of all these things in my life. And when you come to me and you test me, my heart and my mind, you'll find me completely devoted to you. That is the reason why he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, you can go there. God, he says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way for these forty years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you. To know what is in your heart, whether you will keep his commands or not. They were tested, and most of the time they failed. I mean, they never passed actually. All the old generation never passed. They were tested at Mara. Mara means what? Bitterness and rebellion they failed. They were tested at another place where, after Elim, they were tested at uh, uh, with Manna, they failed. They were tested at Masa and uh, Meribah, they failed. They were tested at when uh, when, uh, Moses goes on to the top of the mountain, they failed. Everywhere! Instead of allowing God to test them, on the contrary they were testing God. Surprise test for you God today. We'll complain. Let's see how you will respond. That is how most believers are. Instead of God testing them, they were testing God. My goodness, isn't it amazing? Their attitude, and that is the reason why they never inherited the promised land. God brought them out of the land of Egypt, but they perished in the wilderness. It's so lessons for all of us. And, they, and David says, Lord, test me. See, testing, your tested genuineness of your faith, your faith is genuine only during adversity. Okay, it's tested during adversity. Okay, most of the time. Also during prosperity also. Where you say, Lord, okay, I'm prosperous, but I'm not going to make it affect my heart and my affections. How genuine are we? How absolutely surrendered to God are we? Do we really love him? That's the reason why adversity is allowed. Prosperity is allowed to test our affections. Everything is allowed. Both are are a test. And which is a greater test? I believe prosperity is a greater test. So Abraham was tested. He was tested in his mind. He was tested in his heart, and he was also tested in his strength. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Why it was why was he tested? Take a how many day journey? Three day journey. I mean, now will you take do will you take a three-day journey to worship God? Lord, you know my heart. Why should I take my three day journey? No questions asked. That is what we called here, am I? So the Lord tested Abraham to see what was in his heart. Whether he would love him with all of his heart, with all of his mind and all of his strength. Simple truths. But you know, they are very profound truths. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 22. Verse 1 and 2. One, two, and 1, three. Okay. It says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, specific, specifications. See, with God, there is no confusion. Okay. Very, very, conf- very, 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 very clear. Your son, Your only son, Isaac, and he's also qualifying what, 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 who that son is, whom you love, that means your affections, and go to the land of Moriah, okay, take a three day journey, and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I tell you. Simple, you know, so much here. One verse. Every aspect of Abraham's heart will be tested. Verse 3, just the first verse, so Abraham rose when? Early in the morning. This is what we call as a practice of faith. Obedience of faith. Abraham, what did God say? Go to the mountain where I will show you. Okay, so it's like this, no? In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8, this is what it says. Hmm, look at this. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. This is the, this is the, this is the practice of faith. You take the first step. Where, where Lord? I will show you. Lord, can you give me the GPS coordinates? No, 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 no. You take the first step. It is a practice of faith. You know God so well by this time, you implicitly obey, even if he has doesn't show you everything. Do you think if God has called you, let's say, God calls Peter, let's say, into ministry, that you will surrender yourself completely to full-time ministry, whatever your calling is. Hmm? Lord, tell me where I will go, what I will do, how many people will be there. Will they appreciate me or not? Hmm? Will they accept my music or not? Show me the whole thing, Lord. And then, that's not what is going to happen. That is not faith. That is sight. And in fact, every time, if you actually take a step of faith, most of the time what will happen is, things will actually seem contrary to you. But you still go. It's a practice. Faith is one step at a time, always, not often. (laughs) Okay, it is one step at a time. God has called you, you move, you obey, then God will show. That's the pattern. You don't move and you say, Lord, show me the complete plan. That's not faith, that's sight. But one step at a time, when we obey, knowing where we are going, not knowing, where, uh, not knowing what we are, where we are going, we are actually adhering to the biblical pattern. This is the biblical pattern of obedience. Obey when you don't know, when you don't see. This is, this is what we call as a practice of righteousness. My righteous shall live by faith. You have obeyed and obeyed and obeyed implicitly every day and it has become a part of your life. It's a consistent pattern. And even when God is asking something, your only son and offer him as a burnt off sacrifice. I mean, I can, I'll come to you uh, about that in the last burnt offering. You're not going to even question God because you have known God so well now whatever he asks you if it is con- it might be contrary to reason but it is not contrary to his person it might seem absolutely contrary to the human standards of your, your human standards of righteousness whatever it is but it is never contrary to the character of god whatever god asks you however it might seem preposterous if you will to the natural eye Contrary to reason. That is what preposterous means. Contrary to reason. Illogical. Unreasonable. But it is not outside the character of God. Character of God is always good. Like, like we keep confessing. Like God is good. Or whatever God does is good. Whether you might Seem he or what how can he allow certain things to come in allow into our lives? But it is his nature. He cannot be any other person than being what? Good. So this is what we call character of God. So he's obeying, practicing. What has he practiced over a period of time? He has known God so well. But when he was asking something, who is Isaac? Your promise. Through him, who's going to come? The entire nation is going to be blessed through this man. Through this child. What are you asking me to do? Sacrifice him. Okay, fine. I know you. There's something. You don't have to show me everything. But I know that you're good. That is remarkable. See, this is what, that is the reason why, you know, there are three stages in, in a believer's life. <laughs> what is the first one? Chinapilalu. Little children. Second is young men. And third is what? Fathers. You know what he has to tell, tell, say to the, say about the fathers? I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. You know the heart of God. You know him as father. And Look! Look at what he says in Luke's Gospel, chapter eleven. You don't have to turn that. He says, Luke's Gospel, chapter eleven. He says, "If you, being evil, can give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven?" That means he is not. That that means the best of the fathers on earth, when compared to God, are what? Evil. The best of the fathers. You you pride yourself. You take pride in being an excellent father. Being an excellent father, God is going to beat you to any. I mean, to the, whatever degree. Yeah. He's the, he, there is no comparison. And he says, so he understood the heart of God. He understood the heart of the father. This is faith. Faith is not reasonable. It's not connected with reason. It is connected with knowing a person. And he is growing to know the person of Jesus Christ. Knowing to know the heart of the father growing to know the heart of the Father. He's like looking at all his life. Every point in his life, he looked at the mess that he made. And every point God came through. And he said, you know what, I know him. I know him. That is the practice. See, we all are scared of taking risks with God. But the only person whom you can take risks with is God. Every other thing that you think is stable is a risk. A lot thought that, you know, being with Abraham was a risk. Where will I settle down? I'll settle down in. Where? Hmm, Sodom. Why? He looked at the land and it looked like Eden first. Ah! Oh! And then it looked like Egypt. And scripture puts in parenthesis, this was before Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But you know what? From the vantage point of God, Sodom and Gomorrah is already destroyed. So what did he thought? What did he, what did Lord think? The best bet in my life is to invest in the safest option. Every other point is risk. Staying with Abraham is risk. We want stability. Now, turn with me to Genesis, please. Chapter 4. It's a very interesting hmm, construction of... Uh, <laughs> verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16. Then Cain... Okay, look at this. Uh, you have an uh, NIV? ESV, yeah, put ESV maybe. 416 of Cain. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. You know what the word Nod means? Wandering. That's what it means. Now look at, look, 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 let us read, let us rephrase that entire sentence and rewrite, I mean, re-read that entire entire sentence by replacing Nod with wandering, Okay. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled down in the land of wandering. That is ultimate. You go away from the presence of the Lord and you think that you have settled down and you have found a safe place without any risk. That is actually the place of maximum risk. Anything outside God is risky. Anything inside God, it might seem risky, but it is the most safest place. This is how we know God, by practicing. Giving to God consistently is not risky. Taking your money and putting it in the bank is risky. (laughs) Fantastic is risky. Wherever you have your investment outside the realm of God in your life, I'm not saying that you should not invest in the stock markets. If God, God asks you to invest and put put money, be a good steward. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about doing things outside of God, thinking that it is safer than doing things inside in the, in, in the realm of God, thinking that it is risky. You know, the first thing that, that uh, when I was called to full-time minister, I wanted to take some time to make some money and put it away so that, you know, just in case... Things don't work out. I have something to fall back. It is risky. I thought this is risky. But you don't understand. This is the safest option for anybody. And this you have to know. Most of us are, if I walk, go with God. It's too much of a risk. You don't understand God. Oh, it will be a roller coaster ride. Simply because (laughs) he has to test you. And you know, when it, when it becomes a roller coaster, right? When you slightly go off and start trusting in yourself, then you go into all kinds of... And then you say, all the other people in my life, they are so nice and settled. My life is so difficult and different. Baba, they're settled in wanderings. You don't understand that. Wherever there is no presence of God, that is not. Enid Blyton wrote a series of books called Noddy. That is Noddy, and you will never be able to settle down in Nod. And it's an irony of life, right? How can you settle down in wanderings? Oh, he's ostensibly successful. He's building cities after cities, writing music after music, begetting children after children who are talented. Talented musicians. They are in the Moola Purusha for a lot of crafts. All 24 crafts, notwithstanding. <laughs> they can be, but they are settled in what? Wanderings. Only with God, there is stability. So, you are saying, Lord, you are asking me to offer this up on the altar, the one which you have given. Lord, walking with you is too risky. But he knows the nature of God. He knows the character of God. You know what? Abraham's actually settled down in God now. If I can put it that way. He's settled down. He's like, come to a point, I know God. I can trust Him implicitly. And if, in whatever he's asking of me, there should be a reason. He's no without reason. So he goes question is have we these kinds of dealings with god in our private life that we know him consistently is a question look at what it says in romans chapter 4 verse 16 onwards look at what it says about Rome, about uh, about abraham 16 onwards and if you have esv it will be great yeah therefore that that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be granted to all his offspring who's offspring Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Next verse, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives lives to the dead, and calls into existence the things that are that do not exist. This is what he knows about God. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. I have already made you. So you already promised, I know who you are. I can trust you implicitly. I have been made the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is what he knows about God. So even if Isaac is going to die, he cannot die. He will live for sure. That is what he knows. And then next verse. Verse 18, in hope he believed against all hope. That he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. You see, every place he knows that God has spoken, God has told something about me and he can never waver in his promise. So he says, he did not what? Verse 19, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness or KJV says, the deadness of Sarah's womb. And next verse. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith and he gave glory to God. There was no wavering. You see, why is there no wavering? Because there was a consistent pattern of obedience that was set in his life. You settle down after a period of time. You know. You see, you will never be settled down unless you know God this way. And God will take you through all situations until you settle down. Now you know me. Now you know me now I know no it's not that now you know me now I know you Lord now I know you so verse 21 fully convinced kya hai? that God was able to do what he promised never he did not waver in his faith but he gave became strong in his faith okay and then he was fully convinced three things this is what he knew about God he knew God so intimately it's a practice of knowing God. And therefore, go and offer Isaac where? I'll show you. Okay. Not knowing where I was going, that was my life. I will also start now. And step by step by step by step, step by step. It's like, you know, those days, no, we used to uh Microsoft had a had a, a game called Ages of Empires. No, remember? Okay, you used to you start play. Okay. So you have to explore the land. No, we'll have one fellow who's exploring. And even as he's going, the lights the light becomes I mean the darkness becomes you don't get to see the entire map. And suddenly you start discovering new things. Suddenly there will be a treasure here. There will be a treasure there. There will be gold here. There will be gold there. Oh, And you get so excited in the virtual world. This is real world Baba. This is real world. And you know there is minds to be discovered. With God. When you walk with Him. We will talk about that. In a, in a while. So. This is a practice of knowing. The first practice, therefore, a practice of faith, of practice of obedience, a practice of knowing God is important. Next, let's go back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. So he rose up early in the morning. Abraham rose early in the morning. There is a time to obey, a time frame in which you have to obey. There is a time to take action and if you don't take action within that time, because you have to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your mind and your strength. Three things. Okay, All things are, impo- are involved over there. Uh, heart is the place where your spirit is. Mind is a place where your soul is, and strength is, your, is in your body. So you have to obey God in all these areas. Okay, If there is a time for you to take action, and if you don't take action within that time, then suddenly you will begin to justify your disobedience. Oh, maybe I didn't hear. Let me tell you something. Before flesh takes over, be ruthless with the flesh. We have to be absolutely ruthless and instantaneous and take immediate action whenever our flesh tries to reason with us. Before it is too late. Example. Saul was asked, what did, what did God say? I have anointed you to be king over Israel. So that is how First Kings chapter 15 will start. What should you do? Go and destroy the Amalekites. Don't show any mercy. Okay. What did he do? He killed everything, men, women and children and the waste of the flock, but he kept the best and Agag. What did he, why did he not kill Agag? Maybe he wanted to display him as a, as a trophy. I don't know. Look. This king is under my foot because those days, kings, the royalty, were were uh, captured and kidnapped, and they were rans. You could, you know, you can demand ransom. Those days, some one of the understandings. But you didn't do it. There's a time frame. When God says, "Be absolutely ruthless with your flesh," go ahead and just finish it off then and there before it rises. And because you did not do it, you begin to justify your disobedience. How? Oh, I did not do it. We kept the best because we wanted to sacrifice it to the Lord. All nonsense. All religious excuses, justifications. And what happens? Then it becomes too late. This also is a practice to be instantaneous in dealing with our flesh. That is how the children of God and the children of the world are differentiated. We obey. They are what are they called? They're Ephesians chapter two, verse one and two. Hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. Ephesians chapter two, verses one and two. And you have you ha- he made alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, first. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now which works in the sons of disobedience. We are all sons of disobedience. What are the sons of disobedience? They will they do whatever they want. What are the sons of obedience? Instantaneously, they will take action. Ruthless action. We also who have received the spirit of God, and therefore we have received the spirit of Christ, And what characterizes the spirit of Christ is the spirit of obedience. How do I know it? Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Look at what it says. Romans chapter 9 verse chapter 5 verse 19. It says, for by, as by one man's disobedience. Who's that? Adam, many were made sinners. So also by one man's what obedience, many will be many will be made righteous. And what? How do the righteous live by? Righteous will live by faith. And what is faith? Faith which is, which leads to what obedience. There's an obedience which comes through faith. Practice obedience is what I learn from all this until it becomes my nature. Not second nature, nature, implicit. So much so that God will say, Vijay will obey, no matter what. I know I can, what? Trust Him. See, there's no, there's no um, doubt that God loves me. How do I know it? Cross. But can God trust me? That's a total different matter. I know I can trust him. See, we need to win the trust of God. There are things that we need to do that we have to win the trust of God. Can God trust us? Can God trust you? All of you who are watching, can God trust you? God loves you for sure, but can God trust you? John's Gospel chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. If you have the ESV, it'll be great. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When he saw the, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself <laughs> to them. It's remarkable, right? Because he knew all people. Can God entrust himself to you? Have you won your, one his, won over his trust? Because winning the trust of God is a different ballgame altogether. Peter and I, we started our journey together as friends. But there are a series of decisions I have to take and he has to make in order to keep that friendship together. What we call as winning our confidence. You see, Jonathan's soul was knit with the soul of David. But there are a series of things that Jonathan and David did to win their trust. And that was so fantastic. Jonathan could trust David with his life and David could trust Jonathan with his life. So much so when he Jonathan makes the covenant, he says, you know what? After you become king, show kindness to my family for my sake. And you know something? David, after... Jonathan dies, Saul dies after he takes over the throne, takes over to the throne in, 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 in Jerusalem. He says, is there anyone left in the household of Saul to whom I can show kindness for the sake of Jonathan, my friend? You see, that is trust, that is not, that does not happen in a day. See, so when, this is, this is very, very important for us to understand, no? So even in, in any church, any church or any organization or any relationship for that matter. Husband and wife relationship, there are certain areas in your life where your spouse can't trust you. For example, she may not be able to trust you with finances. I love you, but you have to prove yourself to me so that we can openly discuss finances. How can you hide this from me? You are my spouse, right? There should be nothing between us. I know. (laughs) There there, 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 is absolutely nothing uh, between us. But unfortunately, when I look at the way that you spend your money, who who are that you is? It could be a he or a she. I can't trust you. I can't trust you. I love you, but I can't trust you. Trust us to be on. We completely mistake love and trust. You confuse it, but that is not what God is asking for. He is saying, "Lord, can in these last days can I find people whom I can trust?" And it is a practice. See, Christianity is a practice of little things, consistently over a period of time. For example, giving, consistently give and do a practice. No, you do this. Let us say I'm just giving you an example. Let us say you had decided a a, a kind of an amount in the beginning of them. I'm not talking about tithes. Either you do. By the beginning of the month, let's say you have decided a particular amount that you have to give to the Lord. Two months do it consistently. For this month, next month. Next month increase it. By whatever amount. Next month increase it. Next month increase it. Month increase it. You keep on increasing. And you will see that you because you did it by faith and consistently over a period of time, God begins to trust, trust you with resources now. Trust is is earned okay so any relationship or even in the closest of relationship within a, within a husband and a wife, there is no question about love definitely <laughs> but there is definitely a question about trust trust maybe okay. for, for for sure my wife can absolutely be sure that I will be absolutely loyal to her but so many other areas I'm talking about little areas whether we can be absolutely trustworthy and open about it, maybe we have to work on that. <laughs> just imagine, just imagine, these are things that, that that matter for sure. And if it is so much for an earthly relationship, how much more for God, relationship with God? See, in our relationship with God, what should God entrust us with is a question. What is he going to entrust us with? Himself, exactly. Proverbs, if you have uh, the NIV bro, Proverbs chapter 25 verse 14. Oh, sorry, Psalm 25 verse 14. Sorry, I apologize. What am I? My automatic default setting is Proverbs. Whenever I see a P, I see Proverbs. Okay. Look at what it says. The Lord confides. I like that. Hey, hey, come here, come here, come here. I want to tell you a secret. I want to tell you a secret. What's implication kya hai? I know that after I have told you, you will keep it to yourself that you will not even share it with anybody. See, Paul worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and he earned the trust of God because God entrusted him with the ministry. At one time it says, he says, I know a man, whether in the body or in the spirit, I don't know, who was transported into the third heaven. And God showed him and he said, Paul, this is only for you. You're not going to reveal this to anybody. I can confide in you so totally <laughs> because I trust you. Timothy, father, father, can you tell me what, did, what you saw? No. It's only between me and God. Even the closest relationships, he is not going to reveal that to her. That is what he's talking about. What says thou, young people? Do we have the Lord's trust? Forget about Lord. Do we have your spouse's trust? Do we have your boss's trust? Do you have the your pastor's trust? You know, this is a very interesting scene in Shawshank Redemption. Have you seen the movie? Okay, Shawshank Redemption, there's a, the jailer, he gets gets an inheritance. Okay, the jailer, the warden is a very nasty fellow. Okay, Andrew Dufresne is on the top of the prison. They're do, they're working. Okay, they're working. And uh, jailer he gets an inheritance. Now he is really fr- he's discussing this with his colleagues, and he says, "You know what? I got an inheritance, but I'm so frustrated." He said, "What? Well, you should be happy, man. You're getting a lot of money. You know? I know I'm getting a lot of money, but I have to pay so much of tax." And he's like, every penny and I'll be left with only this so much. And he's really, really frustrated that he's getting an inheritance because when he'll be left with only this much money. So this guy who's a banker, no, he comes to the, comes to the police officer and he asks him a question. He says, sir, uh, do you trust your wife? <laughs> he gets so frustrated. He says, what do you mean? I'm asking you, will she go behind your bike? Will she go behind your back trying to hamstring you? <laughs> he gets so frustrated He wants to throw him out of the throw him from the roof and he says, "No, no, no, if you trust your wife, you can give her that money as a gift that will be completely tax free. I think it's a shock. He says, "Wow, that's a fantastic option. But you know what the, the, the word is can you trust?" Will she go behind your back trying to hamstring you? Can you be trusted? Will you go behind your boss's back back, trying to hamstring him? Oh boy, I'm telling you. This is a very, very important question for all of us. It's amazing. How much God might have tried with Judas. He went behind his back, and you know what it says: when Judas left, then he started speaking and revealing himself completely to his disciples. Now, you know why? There's one guy who could never earn the trust of Jesus. Why? Because he was not faithful to those little little things, especially mammon, money. Money was his big problem. He wanted to entrust, not that the other, other, other disciples were perfect, no. They would also betray him. But you know what? There were certain things in their life they did which, which were, which were sufficient for Jesus to earn their trust. To earn his trust. Can God trust you today? Can God trust you? You trust God, can God trust you? This is so important, such an important truth. Why am I saying this? turn to Matthew chapter 13 verse 51 and 52 it says Jesus said to them have you understood all these things they said to him yes Lord then he said to them therefore every scribe disciple concerning in the kingdom of heaven is like a steward there is a scribe okay there is a disciple Ultimately, whom you can actually trust? Whom can you actually trust? A steward! See, that is the point! You, you, Yeah, you're a scribe means you're a very good student. But lots of scribes have, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. Their hearts are full of foxes and lots of birds. God cannot... Trust them. For a second they have to become a, a what? A disciple. Finally you have to become a steward. And what is the stewardship all about? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. You will know what I am talking about now. Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and what? Stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You see that my dear brothers and sisters? Faithful faithful, loyal, the same word, loyal, faithful, what can I give him? The what of God? The mysteries of God. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. The Lord confides with those who trust, those whom he trusts. That means you are a steward. That means you have revelation. Everybody wants revelation, but God, can God trust you with revelation? We talk about revelation, but we don't have revelation. (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) I know, you know, we, we talk about, oh, we have to have revelation. There's no revelation. Yeah, there's no revelation. Either, simply because you can't be trusted with revelation. Think about it now. Just think about it. All this story about Abraham is read, being written by whom? God, Moses! When, when did this happen? At least 2,500 years prior to when Moses is writing this. Or at least hundreds of years. Does he have any records that, to go back to any library? No. He's sitting in the presence of God, and God is giving it as what? Revelation. Revelation. Boy, it's a stunning thing. This is revelation. The story of Abraham and Isaac is a revelation. The precise details here, etc., et is a revelation. The creation is a revelation. The Garden of Eden, what happened in the Garden of Eden is a revelation. Everything from from the creation to the Noah's Ark, to the birth of Abraham, to the birth of the patriarchs and going till Exodus is a revelation. The entire book of Genesis is a revelation. 52 chapters, 51 chapters if I am right. 51 chapters or 50 chapters? 50 chapters. 50 chapters of the book, entire book of Genesis is revelation. My dear brothers and sisters, why Hebrews chapter 1? 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses was faithful in all his house. Where is he quoting this from? Numbers chapter 12. Turn to Numbers chapter 12. Or 11, just give me a minute. Yeah, number chapter 12. Look at this. Let's read, read from verse 1 onwards, okay, to get a context here. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses concerning the Ethiopian woman, whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Yes, Baba. Yes. Do we have the revelation of Genesis? No. Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord? I pair upon this. Next look at the next verse. Now the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Who wrote this? Moses wrote it. Baba Moses, you are so humble, please write it and it will not go into get into your head. Like that pastor, no? You are the most humble man we have ever seen. This is your trophy. And the next day <laughs> he puts his trophy and comes. But this is not this is not Moses. Moses, he says he wrote it down. He was so unassuming. Moses, you're so humble, Ray. Write it down. I am humble. Then he says, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out you three to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Next verse. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both went forward. And he said, If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. You know why? If I come to him personally, he will die. <laughs> because he will not be able to handle my the revelation of my holiness. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house I speak to him how face to face even plainly not in parables or dark sayings and he sees the form of the Lord why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses you see boy I trust this fellow so much he earned my trust in all of you all of all of my house, you are all my house, right? Miriam, Aaron, let me tell you something. In all of your house, I have not found any man faithful like Moses. And I can give him a commendation before every member in the house of Israel. And he will not get proud. One commendation you give. Are, you think, oh, you know what pastor thinks about me? Next time you will go and you will be sitting on your brother's. You know what pastor said about me, right? Better obey now. Nonsense. Nonsense. <laughs> you see? Not so Moses. Not so Moses. That is revelation. I speak to him face to face. You know what's Literally, God was dictating Genesis to, to Moses. And Moses was going crazy. All this has happened. That's what he tells in Isaiah. You don't have to turn there. From the beginning, what has happened? Can anybody of your gods declare? None. I declared. I, I told everything what happened in the beginning. To whom did I declare? To one man faithful. Whom I can trust. That is what we call loyalty. Can God trust you? You know, a lot of people, they get frustrated uh, with so many things. I don't want to mention certain things because I see. Now after after having come to the ministry for a, for a few years, I see, you know, I can see the attitudes of so many different kinds of people. They want positions without earning trust. Trust. That is the reason why he says a bishop, he says, don't. Lay hands on anybody hastily and don't be partakers of other people's sins. Let them be proven first. Otherwise they will fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Devil, They have to be tested. They will be proven. That's what we are talking about. No. They have to be tested and proven. It's a practice. So the question is, do we have a practice of obedience? Do you have a practice Of working to earn God's trust. Faith without works is dead. You know what are the works? Works to earn God's trust. That has to be earned. Salvation is free. Trust is earned. Then, let's go back to now. To Genesis chapter 22 now. Verse 3 and 4, okay. <clears throat> so Abraham, uh, yeah, 3 to 5 actually, okay, no, no problem. So Abraham rose early in the morning, we understood that, took uh, two, uh, two of his young men with him, you see, uh, those are the only two fellows whom, we, whom he can actually trust. He has very few people, okay. There are 318 young men, but he, out of 318 young men, he could, took two of them of whom he can, trust. You see, always, there are twelve disciples. Three of them had the revelation on, on the mountain of configuration. of the, on the mount of configuration. On the mountain of transfiguration. All these configuration things, okay. I hear you. Okay. And the mountain of transfiguration, okay. On the mountain of transfiguration. Only three. Everywhere only three. Three, 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 three. three, three disciples. Andrew was there. He was the he was the bridge between the three and the and the rest. But he would always bring people to Christ and disappear. Where is Andrew? We don't know. <laughs> he brought people and disappeared. <laughs> That's the problem. No, that is the problem with Andrew. But he is also close to the three, but not the three. See, amazing. Okay, even among the disciples, there's a distinction, Baba. Your Lord, how can you be so partial? I heard, I thought you were no respecter of persons. Yes, Baba, I am no respecter of persons when it comes to trust. (laughs) Trust has to be earned. These three fellows, because of their consistent life, I know. I can trust them. Whom I can trust the most? Among the three, tell me. Ah, John, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Because he got the ultimate revelation, no? About the future also. John. Should we continue? So it says... um, Let's read, uh, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took off to two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted it, lifted up his eyes and he saw a place afar off. And Abraham sent to his, he said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I, The word lad, by the way, the original translation calls it young man. Okay. Theologians say, in fact, most Jewish scholars are in agreement that the word lad is young man, which is about, what, 30 years. Okay. Okay. So, you know, so Jesus was roughly about 33 and a half years when he was crucified. So, Isaac was a young man who's at the prime of his life. But by the, that time, his will was completely surrendered to the will of his father. We'll come to that later on. The young man and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back. You see all that. There's all words of faith. We have studied in so many. We will come back. We are going. We are going to come back. We are going to come back. So that is essentially um, the words of faith. But I just want to look at that one word. Lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off in verse 4. And then next, verse 5, worship. The Hebrew word for worship that is being used here is shachah. Shachah means to bow down, bow down, bow down. Uh, there is another word for worship, which is abad, which is serve, which is also service and also worship. Okay, adoration. And this is a different word, which is shachah, which means to bow down completely, face down to the ground. So what does that symbolize? Humility. Total humility. You know something, people say, the word worship occurs for the very first time in the Bible here. But the word shakha doesn't appear for the very, very first time in the Bible here. The word which means to bow down, okay, on to pay obeisance, if you will, it is a posture this is also a practice okay it's a practice okay to bow down bodily i mean even physically to bow down is not easy you know it's easier to kneel down when you are young and even as you get older it becomes difficult but if it's a practice in your life it's not easy it's not difficult hmm? this is basically a practice of humbling yourself and surrendering yourself this also is a practice. So where does Shaka appear for the very first time in the Bible? Interestingly, Genesis chapter 18 verse 2. Actually, we can read from verse 1 and 2. Right? Let's read from verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. That's what happens when you have two women in the home, no? So, he, in the heat of the day, is outside, doesn't know what to do, okay? <laughs> you generally take a siesta, Middle Eastern people, they just sleep in the heat of the day, but he's out in the heat of the day, that's a remarkable thing, okay? So, he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men, one among them is? Christ okay were standing by him and when he saw them he ran from the tent door met them to meet them and he worshiped exactly he bowed himself to the ground see you can never worship God at this point in your life in Genesis chapter 22 unless and until this bowing yourself and surrendering is a practice It's a practice. You see, you start bowing yourself. See, bending of the will first starts with the good. Then it goes to the acceptable. Then it becomes perfect. That is the reason why I said, anything of the flesh has to be dealt with instantaneously, ruthlessly. To go back to the point, turn to Genesis chapter 17. Let me show you that verse, Genesis chapter seventeen, verses nine to fourteen. First, is the internet still on? Okay, praise God. That Lord just let the power come back. And God said to Abraham, "As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their de- throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be." circumcised what is circumcision Circumcision. we know it is the cutting away of the flesh Okay. and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you he who is 8 days old among you shall be circumcised and it is a perpetual covenant throughout all your generations and verse 14 and this, and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of, the, of his foreskin that person shall be cut off and then verse 22 and 27 Twenty-two to twenty-seven. Look at what it says. Then he finished talking with Abraham, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, all who were brought with his bought with his money, every male, etc., and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God has said. That very same day. That is what I am saying. Anything which is concerned with the flesh has to be ruthlessly dealt with. You have to bend your will. So circumcision is a very difficult thing. Not easy. Especially to an old man. No. next verse, look at what he says, verse 24. Abraham was 99 years old when he obeyed this. It's a It's a practice, my dear brothers. It's a practice. To just bow down in your life is a practice. You cannot have a posture before God unless and until you have a posture before Him in the secret. Praise God. You understand what I am saying? It is a posture. Anything of God has to be dealt with ruthlessly, instantaneously, at that very moment in our lives. And then you will have a posture. So he, he comes, so he, he bows down before them. So when do you think this particular word, shakha, appears again the next time? It's found in Genesis chapter 19 now. Turn to Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1. Hmm. Now the two angels came to Sodom to the In the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now this is Lot. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself to his face. Now he also did obeisance. He also did shakha to worship. But the problem is this. When they asked him to leave, what did he do? He was lingering. Go to the top of the mountain. No, 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 no. It's too difficult. Let me go to this plane. See, you don't have a practice of shakha in your life. When the hour comes, you cannot do it. Because there is no practice in your life. You who practices righteousness is righteous. There is a consistent pattern that has been established in your life. You are not being saved by works. No, 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 no. All this is to what? To earn God's trust. And because God does, because Abraham does this, he has this attitude of bowing down, humbling himself. And you know what? Turn to Genesis chapter 18 now. Same, Genesis chapter 18, verses 17 to 19 now. Look at what it says. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? (laughs) What did I say? The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. The, the Lord confides with those who fear him. So he has been developing an attitude of trust. Because he has an attitude of humility and surrender. You now think about it. Question. Has God revealed something to you, which he has not revealed to anybody else? Is a is a, is a, is a, is a, is a Is a benchmark. Practice obedience. Practice obedience. And this is a consistent pattern. Look at the life of Apostle Paul. You'll find them in this attitude of bowing down in Acts chapter 9 verse 6. It says, So he trembling and astonished said to the Lord, What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Shaka. Let us come to the end of his life. We all like Genesis, Acts chapter 26, verse 18, because it talks about the gospel. Look at verse 19. 26, 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. This is at the end of his life. Always had this obedience, this posture of Shakha. Before God. Lord never had. Therefore, because there was no surrender in his life, the first opportunity that he had, (laughs) he made his choice and said, I don't want to be under you. Can the Lord find in the midst of his church today, even in our own church, who have this posture? Of surrender before God? You know what the word shakha which also means to stoop. Stoop. This is essentially the attitude of Christ. We sing that song now? What condescension? Bringing us redemption. That in the dead of night. Not one faint hope in sight. God gracious tender. Laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, to save. That is Shaka. God himself stooped down to our level. Can't we stoop down to his level? Where is he? He's there. That is the reason why it says, uh, let us go outside the camp bearing his reproach. that is stooping, that is shaka. It is also a practice. Let's go to Genesis chapter 26, 22 now. Let's go back. What am I saying all this? This is how we apply the cross into our own lives. We know that Genesis chapter 22 talks about the cross. But the problem is, it is not the cross for us, it is the cross in us. This is what we talk about, the cross in us. And these are some things which I am doing, trying to do over a period of time. Now one of the things that I told Eric when we went to the mission trip, when I went to the mission trip went with him now, in uh, jamshedpur I think it was 2015, whereabouts, 17, 2017. We were discussing, and one of the things that I said, you know, Eric, in our lives, one thing that we need to always endeavor, we need to endeavor to earn the trust of our co-workers. We need to endeavor to earn the trust of our co-workers. We need to endeavor to earn the trust of the people who are above us. And most importantly, we have to endeavor to earn the trust of God. See, can people trust and all that's a different ballgame altogether? Because that all depends upon their standard? We cannot influence them. God has to influence. We can only live our lives before them. But as far as your co-workers are concerned, and as far as your authority is concerned, these two things are very, very important. Paul had a bunch of people who came, whom he can trust, and one fellow ran, cut and ran. What was, it, what, was that, that, what, was, what was that fellow's name? John Mark. And next time he said Barnabas, I'm not taking that fellow. Oh, no, no, no. Barnabas said, no, 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 no. We don't know. Barnabas had already, you know, he was his, uh, uh, he was his nephew. So there was a flesh which came. I think. And there was a split. You can split can happen between Barnabas and Paul also. Who brought him to the ministry? Barnabas.
1: The son of encouragement.
0: That is the problem with encouraging people. The besetting sin of encouragers is compromise, said Tim Keller. The besetting sin of encouragers is compromise. And he says, no, we can't do it. This is mission. And I need people whom I can trust, who will not give way just like that. They will not give excuse, I want to go back to mommy. Uh, Go. There are so many people with a thumb in their mouths, even after they have grown up. They've only grown big, but they've never grown up. They still have their thumb in their mouth. Sorry, that's a fact. They're not men. They're still babes. Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 22. Stay with uh, verse 6 now. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. I like that. (laughs) Fathers, teach your children the practice of hard work. Don't become too delicate with them. Let them endure hardship as discipline. Whenever they're doing certain things and you give them a, you're promising a reward, let them learn to earn their reward. Don't give it easily. Why am I saying this? Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Are you there? It says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse uh, verse 5 verse verse 5 to 11. Okay. Verse 5 to 11. Look at what it says. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the very form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Okay. And then but made himself of no reputation etc. Verse 8 Verse 8. He being found in appearance of man humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Therefore, aha was he already not the son of God? But did he earn this position or did he get it as a I'm the heir after all? Therefore, God exalted him. There is a process. And you will say, "How, um, uh, what is that? How unkind of the father to allow his son to go through all this? What kind of a father is he?" You know what? In every suffering of the son, the father was also suffering with him. You don't understand the heart of the father. (laughs) Because the son was living the life of the father vicariously through him. The father was literally living the life, his life, through the son vicariously. Teach your children the practice of hard work don't let anything come easy for us reject every anything which comes easily don't make it too delicate no or oh, you what will happen to them that's the problem with our generation everything is given instantaneously but mission work is not easy i mean i'm preparing myself i'm just talking this because so what i have gone through is nothing okay why am i saying this my mind has to be prepared for that Abraham, we are going to go to the mountain and we are going to come worship and come. What are you going to do, young man, you stay here who's who's going to uh, carry the wood? My son will do it. are you master? why are you allowing your son to I'm there no, your servant no, he'll do it. That is a profession that God chose for his father also, for his son also. Hard work, physical work, intense work. The problem with, this gener- with our generation is that you work for a few days, you will think that you have big, done a big deal. They have to give you Nobel Prize also for hard work. Nonsense. And we have found ways and means to celebrate mediocrity. Graduation. What are they graduating? IIT? No, 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 no. From first grade to second grade. (laughs) I got that from Incredibles, by the way. (laughs) Because I have to reference it on YouTube now. So, (laughs) otherwise, (laughs) we have found incredible, strange ways to celebrate mediocrity, my dear brothers and sisters. We give everything to our children. We spoil them. See, that I believe that was the difference between Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, children. Be a man. You become so lean. That is the problem, this fellow. He was good in every other area as far as, as long as, as far as his father is concerned but except in the area of food because his mother was feeding. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many mothers when the child is 32 years or 35 years, they're still feeding. See? Let them See, let them make their mistakes. Let them learn. Let them fall. Let them earn. Ultimately, they will not do it for a reward. They will do it even for the process because the process is very important. Too delicate. See, the cross has to be applied in our lives, my dear brothers and sisters. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. 3 is enough. You therefore, my dear son Timothy, endure what? Hardship. Endure hardship. This is one of the things that we have to endure. Don't become delicate. Don't wear designer clothes. People will not buy anything less than a price tag nowadays. I'm not saying that you should buy bad quality, which will not last. You have to buy some good quality, which will last, which will last you for at least a period of time. But designer wear is not. A brand has to be there. Ayyo my beta. That is what happened to Sarah. And that fellow had a problem with food, finished. That was, see, <coughs> ministry is one of the, that's what pastors were saying yesterday, right? When you are given a position without preparation, all your weaknesses will be exposed. You're not ready. You're not ready because a character of the of Christ has to be formed in us and that is formed only through hardship and discipline in some of the translations will say endure hardship as discipline i don't know which translation that is which one kjv yeah? ok you can find it out okay endure hardship as discipline as a good soldier of of jesus christ we live in a generation which is absolutely pampered right we pamper our children Everything is available so easily for them and we wonder when they go, when they go, when they, when their lives are messed up. Why are their lives are messed up? Because simply because you pampered them. Simple. There's no other plan B over here. You pampered them. You made things easy for them. We forget sometimes the true values of labor and hard work. You may be a very, a, a, a father who's, who's come the hard way, but you know sometimes, you don't want to make it difficult for your children, but you should also make it difficult for you. I mean, it's not, you don't make things easy for them. That's what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. There is a lot of hard work in the ministry. Practice sleeping less. Practice eating less. Don't get used to a comfortable lifestyle. Have you seen soldiers? Do you have you seen their quarters? The most uncomfortable quarters on planet Earth, because they have to move very little. Uh, what is it, uh, Saman? Because they keep on moving, transfer, 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 because they have to endure hardship. Don't get used to the food from the king's table. That's what it, that's what happens, no? When you go to the software company, everything is now given. Oh, boh! Sodexo, Bidexo, Alxo. Why? They're getting you used to a lifestyle. And after that, it'll be very, very difficult for you to come down. You see what it says in Daniel chapter 1 verse 5 and 6. Just 5, just 5. Daniel chapter 1 verse 5. Look at what it says. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the, what? King's delicacies. Abo. And of the wine which he drank. The delicacy, they want to trap him with their, with their stomach and with their taste buds. Daniel refused. You know why? Because I believe Proverbs 1 is in his mind. (laughs) Turn to Proverbs chapter 23. Verses 1, 2 and 3. Actually, one and two is enough. Look at what it says. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. And put a knife in your throat. If you are a man given to appetite. Maniselayu. Very important. Don't pamper, don't get don't pamper your flesh. It's, that's what we call beating your body and obeying. Get up early in the morning, sleepless, work hard. This is important for us. You know, and that is what Isaac is. And, and, and I'm talking to particularly young people. Don't get pampered to the spirit of his age. The spirit of the age is to pamper you with money. And with things that you don't need, actually. You can live a life at least 60% less than what you are actually earning. Minimally, I am talking about. More than that you can actually, if you want to. But what do you choose? You know why? Because the ruler of this world is getting you hooked with your appetites. And they may not necessarily be sinful, but it is still connected with your appetite. And when the call of ministry comes onto your life, you struggle. You know why? You're used to something. Took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac's son. Let us challenge ourselves as young men, no? We have an example in our midst, I know. But we should also be challenged. So Lord, Wherever you call me, whatever you want me to do. As I said, no, we are not looking for positions. No, tomorrow if God says uh, you don't have to be here, you have to go somewhere to some other place and you have to work. No problem. I'm ready, God. I have to be mentally prepared now. I don't want to sit in some place where God and and just be laying eggs. Where I have to go somewhere when God wants me somewhere else. I also don't want to be at a place where God doesn't send me. But I'm ready. That's my point. You see. I'm ready. To live the minimum. In the minimum of minimum, I'm ready. Is what you have to be convinced about. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Then it says in verse 8. Was, let's read that. You know this very well, no? But I want to look at some important points, no? Verse 8, and God said, and uh, let's read from verse 6 on So Abraham, yeah, so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, look at that, and two of them went together. The two of them went together. Okay, just underline that. Okay. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And verse eight. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. So the two of them went together at the beginning and the two of them went, went together at the end of the conversation. The beginning of the conversation, they went, to, they went together. The end of the conversation, they went together. You know what is happening in the middle? There's a conversation which is going on. Isaac is totally in agreement with his father. And then he has a question. Okay, I'm, I'm imagining because he's rehearsing the life of Christ, you know. Jesus has to die on the, on the cross at Gethsemane. Okay. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, Lord. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And he started swe- sweating drops of blood, meaning high blood pressure. And people say, "No, I have so much of BP. You don't know. Jesus had more BP than you." Oh, don't say so many things to him. He has BP. If you think that God doesn't understand you because you have BP, he also had BP. He was tempted in every area. Even in BP. (laughs) Okay. So, stress no. And he started bleeding. And then, three times he goes, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then he's ready now. He was in agreement with his father. And he says, you know what? What? Whatever I see the fathers do, that I also, I speak. My doctrine is not my own. I only speak the things that he has asked me to speak. My father and I are one. Philip says, father, I mean, Jesus, can you show, master, can you show us the father? Have you been with me so many days, Philip? If you have seen me, you have seen the father. Now he's having a conversation with his father at Gethsemane he's saying, father, at the end of the time, he was in agreement with his father, but the beginning of Gethsemane, he finishes that sangharsh, the, that, 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 that conversation with his father, intense prayer with his father. And father says, you have to take it. And, and then he says, okay father, let not my will, but yours be done. And they go together afterward also. They go together before the conversation, they go together after the conversation. That is Isaac. That is Isaac. (sighs) Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham, what did he do? Built an altar. This also is a practice, my dear brothers and sisters. These things don't happen in a day. My point is that. This is the application of cross in our lives. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, you know this. 12, 7, 12, 8, 13, 4, 13, 18. And the Lord appeared to Abraham, to his descendants, I will give you this land. And there he built an altar. Verse 8, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched a tent between Bethel and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar. Where? Between Bethel and Ai, he built an altar. Bethel is a a place of God. And the house of, house of God, and there's an altar here. Life of altar. I mean, I I taught about this lump some time back. And verse uh, fourteen of thirteen chapter. This is after he comes back from Egypt, and the Lord said to him after Lot had sorry. Uh, this is after uh, Lot uh, uh, he gets separated from Lot. Lot had separated. Lift up your eyes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and verse fourteen, uh, fourteen thirteen. Sorry, fourteen thirteen. Not thirteen fourteen. Fourteen thirteen. Is it fourteen thirteen? And the Lord, and and, and Abraham built an altar. Okay, don't worry. Uh, I, I might have missed it. Okay, so you have, you have, Abraham had a lifestyle of building altars. What does a practice of building altars mean? That means you can never worship God truly without, without, without sacrifice. Every time you worship God, it will cost you. Psalm 50. One of my favorite Psalms, which we'll come back to over and over again. Maybe we'll do one whole, okay, let's read from verse um, 5. Let's just let's, read, let's let's read 5. Let's read 5. Psalm 50 verse 5. Gather my saints together with me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. You see that? Luke's gospel chapter 14 verse 25 to 35. Now the great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Next verse. And whoever does not hear, bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost. There is a cost to be paid. It will cost you. And you should know. You should know. I mean, one of the books that I would really recommend you to read is, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's, Cost of Discipleship. I read at least I think sixty or seventy percent of it. One of the most intense exercises. I said but after I read it so much, I said, you know what? Oh, my head is getting bigger, but my life is not changing. I stopped it, and I'll go back to it after I practice. Now I'll practice that. It's one of the best books that you have to read. You have to read it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. One of the best, in fact. I mean, that man, what kind of mindset he had. Remarkable. Yeah, there's no cheap grace. There is absolutely no cheap grace. God gives grace to the humble. But you humble yourself, you have to pay a cost. You have to pay the price. There is a cost to be paid for grace to be achieved. But you said grace is free. Yeah. (laughs) That's a paradox. That's not that you give money. There is an attitude. There is a disposition. That is the reason why he says in Isaiah 55. Buy from me, not without, not with. Money. Without money you buy. but means you have to pay a cost. That that cost cannot be paid with money. There is something else he is talking about. There is a cost to be paid. And that also is a practice. You cannot give suddenly to God unless until you have a lifestyle of paying the price. That's the reason why I showed you. Altar here, altar here, altar here, altar here. And ultimate price is going to pay. His own son, altar there. See, it was just an extension. It was mathematical induction. <clears throat> the, my, my character is true everywhere, Lord. My lifestyle is of one of building, building altars. And you need to understand. That is where... He experiences God's provision. It's at the altar when you paid the ultimate price, you will experience God's provision. That is the reason why he tells Peter. Peter says, we have forsaken everything to follow you. No one who has forsaken everything in this life with persecutions, (laughs) he will receive more, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. You want the provision of God? You want to experience the provision of God? Be at the place where God has shown you and build an altar there and make a covenant with him with sacrifice. Make it a lifestyle and you will see the provision of God flowing through your life. For sure. I can say it from the authority of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 22 verse 9 and we will stop here. After this. I think maybe one more thought and I'll finish. Now, then they came to the place where God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood on the order, wood in order and he bound up his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. You see, this is like, this is like a, see, even in, I, I, I'm sure he was grieving. I'm sure he was intensely grieving. Okay, he's intensely grieving. I mean, do, do you think because he was literally an prophecy? Do you think pap, fa, the God, God the Father was not grieving when, he was, when his son was being sacrificed on the uh, on the cross? Yes, he was grieving. But you see, look at his life. Just because he is grieving, it does not mean that his order is going to be lo- lost. Everything is placing in order, with tears. You know, there's a, in Telugu there's a phrase: tamud, pekata pekate." You know what it means? <laughs> yes, I'm grieving, but this is my duty. I have to do this, and when I'm doing it, let me do it to the best of my ability. There will be order in my life because it's a practice in my life. I mean, it's very interesting, right? When Jesus raises from the dead, disciples go inside to see whether he's there, and they look at a particular thing that 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 attracts their attention. What is it? Yes, that his napkin is folded. Are order by. For sure, this is the work of the master. He's alive. He's risen. And I wrote a dialogue you know, for my children when they were doing that play. Our master was very disciplined, not like us. I, I wrote that. I wrote the dialogue. And so Emmanuel, I will tell it to Phineas. Our master is very disciplined, not like us. I hope she got it. That was to teach her. But <laughs> you see, sometimes they miss the full point. They just enact. You know, we're all like that. We are playing our characters. Okay, not like us. And he sees that. His order. right there, he's building the altar. I'm sure he was tears flowing down his eyes. He's sure that he's going to bring back Isaac. But you know what? The grief is always there. And Isaac is also saying, Father, also to do one thing, just tie my eyes also, okay? So that I don't want to see it. I mean, that is surrender. I told you, no, they were they went to together. They went together. They were to one. I Abraham would not have minded one bit to lay himself on the altar. Do you think? If given a choice. Of course you would not. That's exactly what father God and father son and the God the father and God the son were so united. They would have happily interchanged spaces. And he was grieving. But he, in, in that emotion also there's order. Bah. It's crazy. You know, I, I, I believe that is Abraham's mindset, no? Grief. Emote? In order. How do you emote? In order. That's the reason why the Jewish people wrote the book of Lamentations. What does lamentation mean? Cry. But how do you cry? In order. Why did I say that? Because lamentation is one book which is which is written as an acrostic. First word starts with an first verse starts with an aleph. Second word, Beit. Verse It's like just like uh your Psalm one one hundred and nineteen. So every book or every chapter of Lamentation has got how many verses? Twenty-two verses. Each verse corresponds to the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you know what Jeremiah was teaching? The prophet who cried, who lamented, lament in order. But I want to lament more. Okay, no problem. I'll write you, I'll give you chapter three. It'll have sixty-six. <laughs> verses. You want to lament more? Lament more also in order. Practice lamentation in order. Not like our people in They're all in only. They've fallen apart. Not people with hope. That is the reason why Paul tells the Thessalonian church, considering those people who have fallen asleep, we grieve but not without hope. We grieve, but not without hope. When what a application of the cross in our life. Abraham built an altar, placed the wooden order, and bound his son. He was ready to plunge it, okay. Then come, let's read that and finish So much to do. I mean, I feel, we can just go days together in this one chapter. It's so much here now. Abraham stretched out his hand, took his knife. Because see, it's a cross, after all. So a cross is what? Infinite. The message of the cross is so many things we can study there. I'm just showing you just the periphery of what is there. We have not even touched the surface. We have touched the, the top layer, the small 0.1001 mm layer of the surface. Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, first he said, what? Abraham, here I am. He said, oh, Abraham, Abraham, double superlative. And he said, Hineni, Uh, his posture never changed. I'm available. His posture never changed. See, that is where God is taking us to. Let's read on. He said, "Do not lay your hand on the lad, or on the young man." Actually, it's it's interesting, right? God the Father, I mean, uh, Father is like gonna tie this strong young man, and he, the young man, would say, "Dad, that is not very strong." Okay, tie it even more stronger. I can easily break it. Which son? Uh, what more do you want? If you have a son like that, and you know what Galatians says, we like Isaac are the children of promise. We, like Isaac, are the children of promise. That's Isaac's story is a little different story. Only We can study Isaac later on. I mean, what I know. Pastor James knows me even more than me. But what I, I learned from Isaac, I'll share with you also, if the Lord wills. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes, looked and there behind behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering. What happened? There was a substitute that took place. There had to be a death. Either your firstborn dies or an innocent lamb dies. Either you die in your sin or God the Father sends his son. And he dies for your sin. Either you trust in your own righteousness or I provide a redemption plan for you. All there. Next, next verse. And the Lord called the place. The Lord will provide. Yehovah Jaira. That is the context of Jehovah Jaira Baba. Oh, I have a need. I have a need. Jehovah Jaira. Okay. But you know what precedes that? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, why will he not with him? You don't want him, you want all things. How shall he not with him? You see, when Romans was written, Paul had all this in his mind. You think Romans chapter 8, verse 32, 33, 34, 35 came just like that? No. A mind was saturated by the scriptures. You know what he said? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all when God provided his son will he not provide all things with him freely? And God blesses him. And let's read verse 18 and 19. In your seed all the nations of the world will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together with Be- Be- Beersheba and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. And the young man had no clue what happened. <laughs> they thought one worship service happened there and they came back. They had no, no idea. See, that's what happens, you know, when you actually sacrifice. The other, the world has no idea what has happened. There's a transaction that has taken place on the cross. No idea. The rest of the world has no idea. But I want to, I want you to observe who came back along with Abraham. Isaac also came back, right? Now I want you to observe something very interesting how chapter 22 ends. Somebody has to be introduced. Question introduced logically? Uh, 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 no, no, no. Let's read. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham saying, Indeed, Milka also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Who is this firstborn? Buzi's brother. Kemuel, the father of Aram. Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Yidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot? Ah, Rebecca. Are naturally, no. If Isaac has to be introduced there, who has to be introduced next? The bride. The bride has to be introduced next. Juxtaposition of these two events over here. The birth, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the altar, when his side is pierced, out comes what? Blood and water, and what is birthed? Rebecca is birthed. Rebecca's is birthed. The church is birthed. The church is birthed. And now she is going to be ready to be made the bride of Isaac. You know why? Very next to the cross is the church. The question is, are you a part of that? I want to leave you with that thought. Maybe we'll just finish one one more verse. No, we have time. No, we have infinite memory in YouTube, and let's finish this with the start. First, Peter, chapter two, <laughs> verse uh, twenty one to twenty four. Twenty one, 21 and twenty two. That's enough. Okay. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Revelation chapter fourteen, verse four and five. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. These are the ones who will follow the lamb wherever he goes. See, the lamb. These are, these were redeemed from among men, being first fruits of God and to the lamb, and in their mouth was found what? No deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. The bridegroom has no deceit, the bride has no deceit, and one day both of them will be married. And God is preparing us. So, there's a cross and there's an application of it in your heart. Are we applying it? Is a question. So this morning, let's stand up and pray. Let us be tested and let us be proven. Amen? That is today's title, okay? Tested and proven. Father, we just thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Lord for speaking to our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would continue to minister your word into our lives so that we will continue to walk in your ways. We thank you, we praise you. For in Jesus' name, Amen.